This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca from Rebecca Drives. Maybe I should say Linland as well. Yeah. We know who you are. <laughs> yeah, but we'll, 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 let's start there, I'd though. Start. Like, Everyone uh, knows and loves Rebecca. <laughs> we, but let's, uh, you know, at Rebecca Drives, actually, today, the newest piece of content is yes. your review of the, the 2020 Jeep Gladiator Rubicon. So that's a good place to start. Excellent. Well, this thing is, you know, it's tons of fun. I actually had the opportunity to go on the launch, which it's hard to believe, but it was a year ago. And that was really fun because we actually got to do some pretty serious off-roading as Jeeps are so capable of doing. Um, But this time I had this thing for a week. Now, it's tough because you're really not supposed to be going out. You know, you're supposed to isolate. And I actually just got back from Las Vegas. So I really am taking this quite seriously um, because I could be asymptomatic. So I'm you know, being careful about where I go. So I took the opportunity, uh, took it on the highway a little bit, up and back a bit to get a feel for it, uh, just what it what it's like on the highway. But then I cruise around town and, you know, most of Greenwich is bide, abiding by the rules, relatively speaking, we had to close our parks and beaches because 9,000 people went to the beach last Saturday, literally 9,000 well, people. It was nice last Saturday. <laughs> exactly. And- so I, I drove around Greenwich, took some pictures, got a feel for it, you know, but yes, we, we, uh, we did have to close our beaches. So, um, you know, the Glad, I mean, first of all, it's a traditional Jeep. And so it's got the great looks to it, which I really appreciate. You know, this is, it's hard to redesign a Jeep. And this Gladiator we we have been waiting for, for like 14 years from the time <laughs> they first brought the concept out. That is true. Yeah. And they keep teasing <laughs> us too every now and then. Like they do one for the Easter Jeep Safari. They'd be like, look, look, here's what you could have. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, and the other thing is they also, you know, in, in all those teases, they never used the Gladiator name. They used, you know, Scrambler uh, or some of the other names that they've had for Jeep pickups over the years. That's right. True. Yeah, no, exactly. So the base, so the base sport model. So one of the things they've done that's interesting about the Jeep Glad is that they've, they've simplified the product lineup. And basically they've said, look, this is not a stripped down pickup truck version of the Wrangler. You know, it's it's 31 inches longer for overall width, overall length. And it starts at 35,000. Now that includes a Jeep's incredibly higher, actually all FCA's incredibly high destination charge of $1,495, which is a lot of money. And I think it's one of the highest that I've seen that for like a non-luxury brand. Well, I mean, right? I come from domestic. Toledo. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe they but need it is extra security. Maybe, yeah. maybe. So anyway, so the base, the base glad starts at thirty five thousand. So you're you're up in the echelon, up the upper echelons anyway, and it only has one engine. It's got a three point six liter V six, two hundred eighty five horsepower, uh, just below that for foot pounds of torque. Um, but it's you know it's a lot of fun to drive. It actually comes with a six speed on a, a manual transmission, which is awesome. This one I had unfortunately had been upgraded to the eight speed automatic for two thousand dollars and you know but it's i know right that's that's a pretty hefty premium well that's the thing right like i don't know it just seems like some of these numbers were 
pretty high. But then like the the um, cold weather pack, which is the heated seats and steering wheel, that was nine ninety five, which I don't think was terrible. I think that should be standard. <laughs> well, <laughs> especially in a Jeep. You know? But uh, but you know again you know heated seats and steering wheel you know that's usually like a a three four hundred dollar option on most cars. But but again though this is this is oh it had it it's remote start also. So the cold weather pack has heated front seats, heated steering wheel, and remote start, which is not available with manual transmission. I have a lot makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. And then the leather trimmed bucket seats were $14.95. So those have a rear arm west rest with cup holder, um, full length floor console with armrests, leather wrapped park brake handle, shift knob. I mean, leather trimmed bucket seats, that seems like a lot. That seems like something you don't you don't need to have, quite frankly, because if you're going to really use this thing as it's intended to be used. You, at, you want at, material that you can just hose it down. You well, can exactly. hose leather down. It's cow. <laughs> no, you can hose leather down. I, I have I have done that myself. It, it does uh, crack and craze that like you got to condition it and stuff. Right. You have to treat it like skin. Yeah. Right. So you wash it, but you have to moisturize it as well. That's another podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's actually it's a pretty good uh, sort of analog. Like um, Jeeps, especially Wranglers and and the Gladiator, they tend to be very manicured and accessorized. Um, they, they they do. So like, the, I mean, the this price thing had all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and and the the price doesn't it, like the one you drove was the Rubicon, so it had it's it rang up to sixty two thousand dollars. Uh, which is a lot of money um, when you consider it's not a full size truck. It's not a ton of money in the pickup truck world, right? Uh, those right. Especially, especially for you know these premium kind of niche right. pickup trucks. You know when you compare it against something like a Raptor, uh, you know, or you know some of the some of the other um, you know premium off road performance trucks. It, it's pretty. It's it's not crazy. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and I think that it's something that, you know, you can certainly trim that down. Um, I mean, it's got, you know, it has the tow package on it, trailer tow package for three fifty. dollars uh, It has metallic paint. You know, there's a couple of things that, I mean, adaptive cruise control, sure, $7.95. A, a roll-up uh, tonneau cover for five ninety-five. Three the body color three-piece hard top for twenty-two ninety-five. So that's the wow. rear sliding window, rear window defroster, and freedom panel storage bag. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, that's for to get it in body because it would be black otherwise. Twenty-two ninety-five. Now the wow. thing is though that you know so but but in my mind there's such a broad base. You know I I've called Jeeps the the brand of busboys and billionaires. And this is exactly why you can scale it down. You can get a stripped down version of the Glad and it's still it's still going to give you a lot of fun driving experience. It's still going to give you, you know, off-road capabilities. It's still a four by four. It's still got that 3.6 liter engine in right. it. That's, that's, I mean, that's it's, a good it's point. It's basically going to give you the exact same experience <laughs> as if you bought a $65,000. Well, but, exactly. but, but for 35000 that's a good point. Like, because we, we were just talking about, like, it starts a little steep, but it's got four wheel drive standard, which a lot of like the, yes. the Colorado and Canyon uh, or Ranger don't. Uh, so, and by the time you get them equipped with four wheel drive and their V sixes, they're not that far outside of that thirty five thousand dollars starting price. Exactly it, right. It, the other thing too is you need to consider, you know, when you're looking at the price of something like a Jeep, 
is the resale values. Yes. Jeep, you know, Wranglers Ugh. have some of the highest resale values in the business. No, you're so, absolutely right, Sam. You know, even, even buying a used one, you know, buying a three, four, five-year-old one, oftentimes you're going to be paying almost the same price or, you know, not much less than a brand new one. Yeah, you, so, you'll get a better financing deal on a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you're leasing. Yeah, you know, oh, that's but, true, yeah. And, you know, even if you're buying, uh, you know, if you want to replace it, you know, five years from now or three years from now, you know, you're going to be able to sell it or trade it in for and get back a lot of what you already put into it and put that towards the next one. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that resale value is significant and it's a it's you know, you could argue that it's a good investment, quote unquote, in terms of getting, you know, a great vehicle that's a lot of fun to drive both on and off road and having something that's going to maintain its value for you probably better than most brands. And so, you know, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about sticker shock on a variety of, of brands. Uh, and, you know, there's no denying $62,000 is an incredible amount of money. Um, but you can spend $62,000 and three years later have that worth $40,000. And that's not going to be the case with this Rubicon. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, and right now, they're not really, even even before the sort of economic breaks went on, uh, the, the Gladiator wasn't quite meeting their sales projections. So they were willing to deal significantly on them. So mm. the, the reality on the ground is a little different than us just comparing um sticker prices but yeah we can't really we're we're not a uh <laughs> like an automotive deals show so <laughs> like there's a lot of work you have to do to find that actual like in reality local to you dealer price which is usually going to be discounted and in this case could be significantly discounted um so you, and you had it on the highway you had it around town i my contention is that the wrangler is just delightful on surface mm. streets and uh, capable, but uh, tiresome on the highway. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, as I said in, in my review, if you're buying this as a rolling office, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so, you know, I think that you need to understand what this vehicle is for. And there's other Jeeps, like my sister's Jeep Grand Cherokee, that's fantastic on the highway. Nice, quiet, luxurious, a beautiful vehicle. There's plenty of Jeeps out there that are highway that are highway comfortable. The the Gladiator with that faux roof because the roof comes off, the doors come off, you know everything comes off. You're you're you feel that there's not a lot of insulation in this vehicle because of that. And it, and that's okay. That's the compromise that you make. I will say I think the only thing I kind of missed was was not having a sunroof. So I did like, you know, because I just had the I had the Wrangler four door with the folding roof, which I loved being able to put that back. So that was my only disappointment, especially on some of the more beautiful days. And it's kind of a lot. I, I actually didn't try. This is terrible. I didn't try to take the roofs off. And part of it is because in this crazy world that we are in right now, a girl has got to save her manicure. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. Well, honestly, the, the, the freedom roof is... It's super easy. Uh, it's like two yeah, latches those, and it comes right out. It's really light. And the, yeah, those panels are surprisingly light and easy to manage, uh, much more so than in, in you know the JK and prior mm, generations yeah. of the Wrangler. So next yeah. time. Next time, for <laughs> next sure. Time. 
<laughs> uh, next time, maybe you'll be able to take it to the beach. It looks like the perfect thing to get down in the sand, too. You know. Oh my gosh! I know. I probably would be arrested in Greenwich for taking my oh, vehicle that's, that's on this true, yes. on the sand. But in other places, I mean, this is one of you know. Uh, there's some great opportunities out in California and other places to take this things. And, you know, so I think, you know, it's, it's a vehicle that I would describe as 90% perfect in that, you know, it's tons of fun. It's great for what it does. The 10% is if you try and use it for what it's not intended for. That's when you get in trouble. Uh, I think that's what 90% of the users are going to use it for. But they won't won't make that same calculation. Um, They will actually enjoy this stuff. Yeah, it's like the people that go to like CrossFit and stuff. They like to suffer. (laughs) Pay for the privilege. (laughs) Well, again, you know, I mean, what I love and and when I think about like people like the uh, this my local weather guy Gil Simmons, who's on um, ABC. When I think about somebody like our newscasters that have to get to where they're going, regardless of weather, you know, it, it's like these those quote those essential workers that we talk about. This is a great vehicle that you can feel confident and secure in when you're when it's snowing outside, when it's crappy outside, when we've had a deluge of rain, when other places around the country are flooded, you know. This is this is that type of vehicle that you can go and forge, you know, forge water. And, you know, Sam and I went to GM, uh, to Jeep's, uh, that, what do they call that proving, thing? The Proving Ground. The Proving Chelsea Grounds, proving ground. but the, that, that day that they have, you know, where you can drive right. everything. <laughs> yeah, it's their What's New event. In fact, uh, we, we need, need to get that video uh, from your phone and get it posted. Oh, okay. Well, I, yeah, yes. I happen to know a guy who's like... <laughs> I have a few videos backed up for you. It's it's fine. (laughs) So, you know, again, the Jeep is just, it's, it's a lot of fun. It does get a ton of looks. I mean, this was this super bright, they call it punk. It's an orange uh, that it's just gorgeous. You know, punk. That's what, well, that's, that's what they listed at. It's it's punk, punkin, it's punkin metallic clear coat exterior paint. So punkin. Yes. Which is cute. It's funny. I, that's, I, is it, I wonder if that's actually the one that I had too. I had this the very same configuration. Oh, of, uh, maybe. Yeah, it has. 6, I, I, it I had 6, one like that too. On it. Yeah, it had six thousand miles on it. No, then, so I think mine had higher miles. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I, maybe they all went into the fleet that way. Yeah, <laughs> most, most likely they probably ordered that orange. You know, a bunch of those orange ones for the press fleet. Yeah, it it is. It's charming. I and I, like I even the noise that you complained about. Yeah. I didn't complain about, but noted. Um, that's another thing that like kind of pops up on the highway, but otherwise isn't really a big deal around town. It's pretty quiet. It's it. It, it is the wind rush is sort of what starts above about sixty miles an hour. But I, yeah, know, I love the flat windshield, the tiny dashboard. Yes. It really it, it's it's a pickup truck like like pickup trucks used to be, you know, and, and it's yeah. got that that character about it that uh rougher and it's not really rougher on the edges either they've done a really good job about sort of polishing all of the things you would criticize the older uh jk's for the jl is amazingly refined but it's still got just enough of that um personality that yeah no it it does i i liked it quite a bit um yeah it's it's overkill (laughs) (laughs) But in all the best possible ways. Right. Nothing succeeds like excess. <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah. 
Um, so it, I guess the, the biggest question is in your, in your Greenwich fleet, like how does it fit in and would you put it in your, in your driveway? Oh my gosh. I would put it in my driveway in a second. Oh yeah. I mean, this is one you can, you know, this is, I, I have several neighbors. I think I've mentioned before my neighbor directly next door to me used to be an SCCA racer. And so, you know, everything I, I when I put the cars in and my, my lower driveway is very visible and you can go on my Instagram, um, Rebecca drives and see pictures of it and what I mean. I, but you know, inevitably, I mean, the number of calls that I get, I rate, I rate, I should rate the cars on the number of calls that I get from oh, my neighbors. A good public opinion poll, yeah. I mean, it's a really exactly. small sample size, but that's okay. <laughs> but that's okay. They're, yeah. they're, they're, you know, primarily guys that are buying cars. So look, you get us um, some demographic information. We'll tidy that yeah. up in a document. We'll sell it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I mean, this, you know, again, I think that this is one of those vehicles that you can't expect it to be a luxury vehicle on the highway, but everywhere else, absolutely. Tons of fun. Well, I mean, that's why Jeep makes the Grand Cherokee. Yes, that's know? what I said. And, exactly. and other future products. You know, and other future products. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, stuff like the Commander and, you know, that's coming out, I think, next year uh, or late late next year, I think it's coming out. Um, you know, these, these are more premium products, you know, and they're meant for, you know, to go after, you know, kind of the Land Rover Range Rover market, you know, whereas this, this is targeting a very different audience. So, you know, you shouldn't expect it to behave, you know, the same as a Range Rover. Yeah, exactly. The Jeep guys are funny too, though. Like every time they bring a Wrangler, then they brought, when they brought the Gladiator up to New England, they had the New England, uh, car writer guys, uh, all got together. They, uh, gave us a presentation about it. And every time they're up here with, with the Wrangler or, or the Gladiator or whatever, somebody in the audience will raise their hand and be like, have you ever thought of doing a version like a G-Wagon that's all very luxurious? And the Jeep guys are just, <laughs> they get this this cherubic smile. And they're like, we can't comment on that, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I honestly think that they've, they've done the, the sort of the cost and uh, you know concept work to make a very luxurious version of the Wrangler. Well, well, even now, you know, I mean, if you like the the JL rank, you know, the four door. You know, when I had one a year and a half ago or so, uh, I had you know it was a silver one, you know, four door, you know, the unlimited um, with the hard top and everything. And from behind, you know, from the rear view or the rear three quarter view, you know, aside from the tail lights you know, you could very easily mistake that for a G wagon, you know, the, the proportions, you know, very squared off. Yeah. Know, I mean, it, it very much looks like a G wagon from behind. So, you know, they, they've clearly been thinking about that for a long time. Yeah. Now well, let's, let's see what they do when they need to squeeze more profit out of the market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just, just to uh, confirm, this one also did have that ESS stop start. And um, that's really good. It's really transparent. And I, I'm, I never mind stop start if it doesn't jar you awake when it restarts. Uh, this one is just, it's very transparent, it's very quiet, really well behaved. Well, yeah, Jeep's been, FC, <clears throat> FCA has been doing the stop start stuff for a while on the trucks and the Jeeps and they've, they've pretty much nailed it, you know, and then yeah. especially if you get on, you know, get into one of the vehicles that has the e-torque, you know, it's even right. better on those, but you know, the, the, um, on the V8s and the V6s, uh, you know, with without e-torque, you know, it still works really well. It does. You know, they've done a nice job with it. 
All right. That's cool. Fantastic. Well, let's, let's jump to (laughs) the next, uh, next victim. Um, You know, let me just, I'll just talk briefly about the Hyundai Kona because I drove it a total of like 10 miles. Um, But that man, I love that car. That's a great little runabout. I had the the 2020 Hyundai Kona ultimate all wheel drive. Um, It's, it's really unpretentious, but it's also really, really charming. Um, And it seems like every time I drive a Kona, like the circumstances are rather uh, um, apocalyptic. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? what happened? Well, so well, like, like this what time happened? we went I mean, on, like, this time it's obvious, but what happened last time? So the last time I had a Kona, I had um I was doing an interview in uh Washington State. So flew into Seattle, picked up the Kona uh as a media loan at uh SeaTac. Oh, okay. And then we drove it out to um we stayed one night in Olympia. And in in Olympia in the at night in the rain when you try to cross an intersection and don't realize there's like these big curbs in the middle of it you hit them <laughs> and and you <laughs> you damage the tires oh no and so like uh yeah so we went out for dinner and i wound up like putting this the spare on the front and everything seemed okay and then the next morning we had to go from uh olympia out to aberdeen so that's uh, a little over an hour and Aberdeen, it wasn't actually Aberdeen. It was, it was Montesano and, and a little south of there. So that's logging country. There's not as much out there. And there's windy That doesn't roads. sound like the kind of place you want to be driving on a Space Saver Spare. Uh, yeah, the, exactly. So Space Saver Spare on the front. And then, you know, as we're driving out there, yeah, getting some some lights from the all-wheel drive system. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's probably just confused with the rotational speeds of the tires. And it'll be okay. Um, and, uh, so we get to the place that we had to go, which was this, this guy's who we're interviewing. It's his, his homestead in, in logging country out there. No AC power. No, like he had a phone, but, uh, no self signal. Um, good luck finding it. If I needed AAA or roadside assistance to come get us. And I noticed that the back tire has a bubble in the sidewall and a slow leak. I'm like, Jesus, we've got to go from here. We've got to do the interview, which is fine. Like I was like, we're here. We're good. Let's get what we came to get and we'll sort everything out later. (laughs) So uh, that all went fine. And then, uh, you know, getting back to um, uh, Seattle uh, was, you know, that's a couple hours. And it's just like, we're going to buy a little tire inflator and we're just going to drive and I'm going to adjust the mirror so I can watch that tire. If it starts to come apart, we'll uh, we'll punt. So those my experiences with the Kona are like <laughs> bad stuff happens, but it's a nice little car. <laughs> I really it I, is. I a lot. Um, I, yeah, I had it. I had it last year. It's adorable. It's it's so good looking, and it's just really friendly to drive. It's not overtly sporty, but it's not going to let you. Uh, it's not going to disappoint you if you enjoy driving cars. You know, all the controls feel good. The ergonomics are great. Um, but, which which powertrain did you have? Um, uh, I had the turbo. The 1.6 turbo. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, you know, it's, it's turbo charged, but it's not, it's not the most muscular engine. It's a good engine. I like it a lot. Uh, but it, it's, it's mostly there so that you're, you feel something <laughs> when you yeah. have the pedal down. And, it, you know, we were talking last week about the, um, the dual clutch, the, the Hyundai Kia dual clutch. And this, uh-huh. so the ultimate has that other versions of the Kona don't have the dual clutch auto, but this one did. And, uh, it reinforced what I, when I, you know, babble on a little bit about 
what I, you know, how I don't like dual clutch transmissions. Uh, this is a good dual clutch. It's well-behaved most of the time, but what gets all of them is that low speed stuff where you're maneuvering in a parking lot or, or like, you know, backing into, uh, you know, parallel parking or backing into the driveway or whatever. There's just that, that low speed delay as it figures out clutch engagement without nuking the clutches. <laughs> but, uh, I, I prefer a regular automatic in those situations. They're just more positive. Um, but yeah, that's, I didn't drive it well, enough to say much more. So, <laughs> Well, spe- speaking of uh, Hyundai and dual clutches, I think Rebecca was, I think it was, you had somebody that asked you on Twitter uh, earlier this yes. week about yeah, that, Blake. you know, yeah. whether they're, yeah, whether they're wet clutches or dry clutches and, up until now, all of Hyundai's dual clutches, they've had, they've had two dual clutch transmissions, a six speed uh, that they uh, used initially. And it also, it's still used on the, uh, the Ionic and the Kia Niro uh, hybrids. And then uh, a seven speed, which is what they use with the 1.6 turbo in various applications uh, first launched a few years back on the Sonata Eco. And they've, they've had it on some of the, the more sporting variants, uh, you know, with, 200 you know, 195 between 175 and 200 horsepower um those are all dry clutch transmissions every single one of them up uh, uh, the they have a new dual clutch transmission coming out later this year that's going into the veloster n and the sonata n line and that one is going that's an eight speed and that's going to be their first wet clutch uh transmission and can you explain the differences for some of our listeners please yeah, so basically, um, you know, the the clutch pack, you know, you've got two clutches that operate in parallel and switch off. One one opens up, the other while well, the other one engages, and they switch back and forth. Because a, a dual clutch transmission, you can think of it basically kind of like two manual transmissions running in parallel, and the gears alternate. So one one set will have the odd gears, so one, three, five, seven, in the, and then the other one will have two, four, six, eight. Um, and the, the clutches engage and disengage each of those sets of gears. The, the clutches themselves uh, on a dry clutch, you know, it's like in a manual transmission where, you know, there's, there's no fluid around the, the clutch. Um, and those tend to be, uh, in, in many cases, they, they, have, they're, they have been a little bit rougher in operation, um, but they're also more efficient. And lighter, well, uh, and they're they're cost. rougher in operation too because they don't have that fluid right to absorb right. some heat. Yeah, so R- right, and then the the wet clutch, which is what uh, Volkswagen Group has typically used, all their DSG and Astronic transmissions, those are all wet clutch transmissions, and so they have uh, a hydraulic fluid that the the clutches sit, you know are basically encased in. You know, they sit in a in a clutch uh, in a fluid chamber. And so that makes the operation a little bit smoother, but it also adds a little more drag. It's not quite as efficient, um, you know, but, but they are a little quieter. And that's what you find on VWs and Audis and, and other, other uh, VW group products. Um, the, the, probably the prime example of a bad <laughs> dry clutch uh, is the, the, the transmission that Ford used for a number of years on the Fiesta and the Focus. And, you know, they're still trying to deal with the aftermath of that. You know, the, the, their power shift transmission was a, a dry dual clutch and it was terrible. I hated that yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not good. 
That's Thank Hyundai you. and that's Hyundai Motor Group and and dual clutch transmissions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have done, I would have done that, but you know my explanation would have gone over everyone's head. So thank you. Right? For no, that's that. that's fine. I like it when we can bring it down to the masses. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Uh, so, <laughs> I drove it last year, uh, and and one of the things that I was thinking about when it, as driving around, it's just such a good. It's just a good, solid little vehicle. You know, it's $30,000. The one I had was $30,000. That was the ultimate. And I just felt like this is a good example of a vehicle that, you know, you d- you debate about whether you're going to buy a new or used. It starts at 21000 I wouldn't get that one. I would go up a little bit. But, you know, there's a lot of good features in it. There's, you know, advanced safety controls in it and um, in everything but the base model. And there's good, you know, pretty good visibility, even though you're sitting down lower. And um, it's more like driving a car than an SUV. But I feel like it's a good compromise between for somebody that wants a little bit extra storage, but doesn't necessarily want a traditional taller SUV. Yeah. It, it, the thing, the sort of one criticism, I guess I would offer about it isn't really even fair because it's the tight back seat. And it's not a big car, so it's not supposed to have an enormous back seat. It has it's roomy right. enough. Yeah, you know, okay. if, if if you need something with more back seat room, you know there are other options, even from the Hyundai Motor Group. You know, you've got the the Tucson, you know, which is a quite a bit larger, you know, mm-hmm. uh, interior space, and also even the uh, the Nero on the Kia side, mm. and now the yeah. Seltos. I mean, I feel like, you know, the way I describe it is it's it's a five it's a four passenger or five good friends. Right. <laughs> That's not a bad way to look at it. Yeah. As you know, as, as as long as your your two friends that are sitting in the back seat, you know, are not of particularly tall stature. Exactly. You're not gonna take your rugby team with this thing. Yes. <laughs> Let's keep it rolling. Uh, Sam, the the Toyota Rav4 hybrid, uh, you had the limited of it. That's a, a pretty yeah. nice vehicle actually it, it is yeah um you know so i actually uh we talked about it before i briefly had a rav4 hybrid last summer i think in about june or july uh just for like a day and a half um because i was having an issue with it and so toyota they came and picked it up uh to take it off to diagnose it and left me with i think a camry or an avalon or something but the uh, you know the issue i had at the time uh, was with, um, with, um, Android auto, you know, I plugged in my phone, set it all up. And, you know, I, because I, I had uh, a meeting over, uh, near drive shop anyway, you know, I stopped off at their shop and, and swapped the car I had for the RAV4 and I plugged in my phone, went to put in the, the directions for the location of my appointment. And as I was pulling out of the parking lot, the whole infotainment system crashed and rebooted. And came back up, Android Auto restarted automatically. And then about 90 seconds later, that process repeated. And it continued to do that for the next several minutes until I finally pulled over and said, unplugged my phone and <laughs> just stuck my phone in the cup holder and pulled up Google Maps on it to, to give me the, the voice prompts for the directions for where to go. Um, and you know, when I got home, I played around with it some more and it continued to do that you know, as every time I plug the phone in, uh, it continued, it continued rebooting the system, whatever, you know, they, they couldn't find an issue with it. They tried it, you know, apparently it had, there was some quirk with my particular phone, which is a Google pixel three. Um, 
because they tried it with other Android phones and it didn't cause a problem uh, on that particular vehicle. But sometime between then and now, there has been a software update to the system because I was doing it with the exact same phone and it worked flawlessly this time. So that out of the way, you know, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay both both work now on the RAV4. Uh, no, no issues at all, which is good because the, the stock, Toyota Entune interface is not good. Not great. Not good. No, it's bad. Not it's good. <laughs> let's let's just call it what it is. It's okay. It's bad. It's not um, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing not, because they sell so many cars, and you think they have the the money and the expertise and the the will uh, to develop something good, and their system and Honda too. Just who does these things? Bad. Who does these? That's what uh, I want to know. I don't okay. know, but it's anyway. <laughs> Um, aside from that, though, the rest of the vehicle is actually really I, nice. I, yes, I really like the RAV4. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the design of the, the current generation RAV4, which came out, what, about a year and a half ago? Um, and, you know, it's got that, you know, kind of nice, chunky, you know, blocky, you know, kind of rugged look to it, which I, I think is pretty cool. And, and it's, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it, it's similar to the previous generation Highlander, you know, which also had that kind of chunky look to it. You know, very much, you know, looking more like an SUV. And, you know, for the new Highlander they've that just launched, they've gone away from that look to a smoother, more curving look to it, which I was, I was a little I surprised to say at that. that. The new Highlander, every time I see it, I have to do a double take and make sure that I'm looking at a Highlander and not a RAV4, which is yeah. like, it's fine if the family look, I guess, is, is a good thing. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely softened up a lot. Yeah. But the you know I I like the look of the Rav Four. Um, you know the what's one interesting choice that Toyota made uh, this time around uh, with the, with this generation of Rav Four Hybrid is that it's only available with all wheel drive. Uh, in the past, uh, really it's optional. Yeah. So That's there's very there's no, interesting. You, right now, you cannot get a front wheel drive Rav Four Hybrid. Um, but unlike the uh, Ford Escape Hybrid. Um, which you can get as front wheel drive or all wheel drive on the, on the escape, the all wheel drive version has a traditional mechanical system to drive. You know, so there's a drive shaft down the middle and, you know, drives the rear axle mechanically. Uh, the RAV4 uh, uses, uh, has an electric motor on the rear axle. So it's an electron, it's an electric uh, on demand, all wheel drive system. So there is no drive shaft down the tunnel. Uh, you know, as far as cargo space, the battery is, you know, stuffed underneath the rear seat. Uh, and so there's no impact on cargo space having the hybrid. Uh, I, I'll be curious to see, you know, sometime later this summer, maybe in the fall now, uh, when they launch the RAV4 Prime, which is the plug-in hybrid version, which is going to have a significantly larger battery. Um, you know, how that impacts, you know, from the, the auto show, uh, taking a quick look at it, it was hard to tell. but um, I suspect we'll, you know, you'll lose some of the cargo space because there's some, you know, in the RAV4, in the hybrid, uh, under the rear, you know, you've got a flat rear cargo area and then you, you lift it up and there's some cavities under there where you can store, you know, various things like, you know, if you've got wet stuff from the beach or things like that, you can store that stuff underneath there or just, you know, just to store, put away stuff that you want to keep hidden from view. Um, you know, overall, you know, I think, I think it's a good size. It drives really well. Uh, it's got decent performance, you know, 219 uh, total horsepower between the electric motors and the uh, the engine. Uh, it's the same basic drivetrain that's actually in the new Highlander hybrid. You know, so the 
Highlander, the new Highlander, they went previous gen Highlander, the previous Highlander hybrids all used uh, a V6 with the hybrid. This for the new one, they've gone down to the 2.4 liter four cylinder or 2.5 liter four cylinder, which is this, the same powertrain that's in this vehicle in the Rav. Um, you know, and you know, even with that, you know, pretty pretty impressive amount of power. You know, it's rated at 40 miles per gallon overall. Uh, which is which is pretty impressive, you know. Even with all-wheel drive, you know, it's fantastic. The, yeah, you know, it's it's the most it's the most efficient of any of the compact crossover hybrids. I think I think the um, the new uh, H, uh, CRV hybrid mm. is uh, just about the same. I think it's also forty combined, but it's only front-wheel drive. It's not all-wheel drive. I mean, so, that's, you know, when you think about forty miles per gallon, what Ugly cars you used to have to drive to get that. <laughs> well, not not just ugly, but also or if tiny. you could, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, they, they were also very small, right? You, know, you, you could not get you know a vehicle this size. I mean, you can you can carry five five adults comfortably in the Rav, you know, and and still have room for, in the back for cargo and everything. So you know now you have something that is a very practical family car, you know, or you know to carry your friends around. Yeah, and it's you know, it's, it's still very usable. So does it, does on the four wheel drive, I'm curious about that or all wheel drive, does it, and I know you talked about the axles. So does it go into two wheel mode at all? Or what's that situation? Like, is it just always yeah. in? Okay. Yeah, it's, so it's on demand. So it's, it's okay, looking it at the wheel okay. slip. Um, all right. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, when you're just driving down, you know, pay, you know, drive a dry paved road, yeah. you know, it'll just be pulling with the front wheels. Okay. And then if you start to get some slip on the front wheels, then it'll send some juice to the rear, the rear motor. Right. Okay. So it has like a torque vectoring kind of system or. Well, it's, it's just that idea. Yeah. it's sort of, sort of torque vectoring. I mean, it's just, you know, distributing, yeah. Distributing some of the torque front to rear, just, just as any uh, contemporary all wheel drive system does. Right. Yeah. You know, so that, and that's kind of the distinction between, um, all wheel drive and four wheel drive, you know, four wheel drive is a system where it's continuously splitting the power between front and rear, you know, <clears throat> at, at a fixed ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just always there. Whereas, um, all wheel drive, you know, it's, it can, it's constantly varying the, the torque distribution front to rear. Right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, it's, and that fuel economy really is, I think we sometimes take those kinds of things for granted, but that's a really, if you can get 40 miles per gallon, do you know what you averaged? Uh, it was about 38, 39. Wow. Um, you but, know, and, and you weren't hypermiling. You're trying to, no, you know, no, just, like that's just the thing. Doing, just driving. Yeah, yeah. Just normal driving, you know, yeah. run some errands, you know, and then just went and drove around for a while. Um, you know, and you, you talked earlier about, you know, uh, you know, driving around Greenwich, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks while we've been stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, I, you know, at least you know a couple times a week i'll just go out and just drive around yeah um you know and i figure as long as i'm just you know i get in the vehicle and drive around and i'm not getting out and interacting with anybody right you know that's, that's my thought that's too it's safe as sitting at home you know yes, it's exactly it's, my I'm exactly not, i'm my not putting thought. anybody else at right. risk <laughs> yes um and in fact i've been doing that over the last couple of days with uh with the vehicle we'll talk about next week which is the, uh, the audi e-tron uh i'm in the midst of doing a a range test on the e-tron see how many miles oh, i right. can get out of a charge yeah and so over the last couple of days i've gone out and driven about 50 miles a day you know and so i'm, I'm at about 100 miles on the current charge and you know still sitting at about 57 percent 
battery uh, state wow. of charge. So I think I'm on pace to hit about 200, probably about 230 miles. That's great. Um, it's a tank Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's significantly better than what the EPA rating is, but that's, we'll talk about that next week. Right. But they, you know, the, the RAV, you know, if you're looking for, you know, uh, a compact crossover, you know, room for five that is really fuel efficient, of course, you know, with gas at, you know, $1.70 a gallon right now, and <laughs> given everything else that's going on, crazy. Um, you know, you Fuel efficiency may not be on the top well, of your okay, list. Well, okay, but maybe, maybe self sufficiency is. And uh, yeah. the more you can stretch each gallon of fuel, the less you have to stop and fill up, um, which That's makes right. a, a difference. And does it feel a little uh, weird and like um, uh, doing acrobatics without a net when you go out now? You're just like, man, if I get in an accident, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> Like it's, it feels, I don't know, maybe I'm freaking out um, quietly and not, not actually uh, acknowledging it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not, ta- I'm, not ta- I'm not taking any undue risks, yeah. you know, let's put it that um, way. Um, but the, the RAV4 is, uh, it's one of those vehicles that everybody loves to hate. And then just this iteration of it is a real kind of masterclass in why it sells so well. Um, Wait, why do you think everyone loves oh, to hate it? because it's dull. And well, it is, but well, I mean, you, you know, I think, I think in, yeah. that enthusiasts <laughs> well, might love but, to hear Right. It. So that's, that's, I guess <laughs> right. the consumers right. just let love me, it. Let me yeah. uh, clarify. Cause I don't want to be out there saying like, uh, nobody's ever heard of this before. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> on the consumer side. We, we love to hate it. And the Camry too, right? We all love to, to use the Camry as some it, sort of like example of, of, you know, it's, a, it's an appliance. It's an appliance. But it, exactly. It's an appliance. It, but that's what that's what most people want. Right. And there's absolutely nothing but wrong with even that. Even at absolutely. that, you know, the latest crop of Toyotas have been actually, from an enthusiast perspective, not bad to drive. They dynamically because oh, yeah. dynamically before they were a mess. I talked last week about um whatever car it was having greasy handling. And so it's the same thing. They just they were mushy and not sharp and just it. It, part of why we didn't like them in the past was just like they felt crappy to drive. These feel good to drive, and they don't give anything up to do that. You get all the, uh, you know, all the sort of uh, well thought out storage and other nice features, but they also go down the road like the the you know as if the people who tuned the steering spoke to the people who did the brakes and and the suspension as well, which wasn't always the case, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the last two years, the RAV4 has been the number one selling Toyota brand vehicle in, in North America. Last year in the U.S., they sold 448,000 yeah, RAV4s. It's a, it does everything and, well. It's like, it, yes, I understand it's a crossover kind of SUV kind of thing, but it's a wagon and it it does yeah. everything well. <laughs> and, you know, by comparison, the Camry, they sold 337,000 last year. That's still so, no joke. You know, it's a hundred. Wow. That's a uh, yeah. It's a hundred and ten thousand more than the Camry, um, and twenty five percent of the Ravs that they sold in the U.S. last year were hybrids. Wow. Yeah, they that's had twenty five percent take rate on the hybrids. Wow. And in Europe, the uh, the Rav four hybrid accounted for something like I think fifty four percent of sales Rav four sales in Europe last year. Wow. That's so, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, but 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 that's as you said though, most people, not enthusiasts, not amongst our colleagues. It's it's an appliance, and that's okay. 
Yeah. Like that's, I mean, they that's want, they want, we, you have they to want something that. that's, yeah, they want something that's reliable, that's going to start every single time you go out there, you know, that is going to run for years and years and years and not give you any hassle. And on the off chance that something does break and needs to be fixed, you can take it to a dealer almost anywhere and have it fixed more often than not the same day. You know, even if you get into a fender bender, you know, you can get body parts and, you know, a, a day or two at worst, you know, you're not waiting six months for, for parts to repair the thing. If, if something goes wrong, um, you know, not, not that I would name any brand that does that, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's there when you need it, you know, it gets you where you need to go every single time. Absolutely. And when you think about the vehicle that you had with all wheel drive, 40 miles per gallon, I mean, that's just a fantastic, that's, and, and what, what was the price point on it? Uh, so this was the limited, you know, which is the, the, the basically, uh, loaded and okay. altogether, including, uh, including delivery, which was only $1,120 on this one, mm. uh, came to $41,235. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's a good amount of money. Yeah. I mean, but you know, again, you know, this has all the, all the options on it, you know, but even the base RAV4, you know, Toyota is now including, you know, a lot of driver assist features, you know, yeah. keep assist and forward collision uh, warning, pedestrian detection, all that stuff is standard equipment now on almost everything they build. Wow. Uh, you yeah. Know, and, you know, you're still getting a lot of features, you know, even at $25,000, you know, this, the starting price or right. 20, sorry, 28, $28,000. $28, yeah. And that's the thing. And you're getting a nice, you know, this is a vehicle. And, and when we, you know, we talked earlier about resale value, you're certainly going to get a, that vehicle is going to hold its, its resale value as well. And oh, so, yeah. you know, Toyotas, Hondas, those kinds of vehicles. And so, you know, when we think about, you know, which vehicle that you purchase, it's really important to consider all those factors. Now, if you're somebody that keeps your car for 10 or 11 years, it's not going to be as important. But if you're somebody that, that even leasing, resale value impacts leasing because you, you're basically paying off the depreciation. And then also, of course, if you keep your vehicles even five to six years, you're really going to you know, there's a really good chance that you're going to depend upon that resale value to purchase your next vehicle. And so you got to right. think but about if, But if you are one of those people like us, you know, yeah. that keep your cars for 10 or 10 or 11 years, you know, that reliability, that durability oh. is even more important. You know, the Absolutely. fact that once you pay off that car loan, basically the only thing you're going to spend money on is, you know, whatever gas you put into it, which in the case of this thing is not yeah. going to be that much, <laughs> uh, you know, and insurance and, you know, oil changes maybe once a well, year. That's the thing that I have found on the ownership side is I don't want the car to explode once, <laughs> uh, yeah. once the loan is paid off. And, and, and that's, that's something that doesn't happen very often with Toyotas. They don't explode yeah. very often. <laughs> But they, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like that was my experience with the Volvos and even with the Jeep to a certain degree is like, um, once you get them outside of that, uh, and the Jeep has been a lot better um, than the, than the last two S sixties. Um, once you get them outside of that period, that typical period where you'd have an, a loan on them. So after about 90,000 miles, um, they, they just become very needy. A lot of cars do, mm -hmm. uh, Toyotas yeah. tend not to do that. Part of it is because they're, they're not that exotic. They're sort of basic, solid, um, unexciting <laughs> engineering. And, and so for good reason, they tend to be, uh, durable. And that's really what we're talking about, I guess, is, is durability. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I've, I've seen that with the Jeep, like once it's now that it's, it's just got 130,000 miles on it. Um, now it's starting to have some of those things that just fail from old age. And so you, you have to, you have to account for that, but it's, it's not quite at the end of its payments yet either. So, um, I'm anticipating that there's going to be another whack, (laughs) you know, when the, when the payments end and I, as an owner, I really like the cars that just, you pay them off. They're not designed to just get through that period without any trouble. Uh, and, and then, um, just completely screw the people who want to keep them going and not bring another car into the world. Um, which I realize is <laughs> completely backward from a car enthusiast perspective, but you look at what BMW does, right? They, they changed their, their, uh, service recommendations, but especially when they tilted heavily toward leasing, they moved all of the, mm-hmm. the services out past you know fifty thousand miles they're like yeah basically for the first fifty thousand miles it's, it's nothing gas tires oil no problem um because they know that generally you're not gonna have any problem with any car you know they've, they've been engineered well enough that they'll, they'll make it through you, you would certainly hope that you wouldn't have a yeah. problem you know in those first 40 50 000 right miles. so they can defer a lot of that stuff and what happens is that that puts a little extra wear on things and because nobody's been in there poking around you may not have found something that would have been easy to fix and now it's a little more costly and so i i realize this sounds like a conspiracy theory so i'm gonna back off a little bit <laughs> but it just you know customer preferences are they want the thing to be trouble free especially while they're paying a lot of money for it and then once it goes into that used yes. secondary market um the cars that do well there it's really telling um the you can sell a very old corolla you can sell a 20 year old corolla for like two grand no problem it'll go like immediately which is yeah, amazing yep. to me it's like the cars they're so old but they're just they're durable well, and-, and they're popular so while we're while we're talking about older vehicles, I do have a death in the family to report. My cousin's, uh, I think, two thousand eight Honda Odyssey that I talked about. Oh no! Back in February, finally gave up the ghost. It did. The engine seized, and she had to flatbed oh. it. I know it was tragic. That's a bummer. I know. So it happened last week. Hey, you know, a used yes. engine is probably not so, that much money. You can have a good project. Yeah. <laughs> not going anywhere. <laughs> So yes, rest in peace to the blueberry. Oh, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> so anyway, one, onward. One, one one last note on the on the Rav Four. I mentioned you know the driver assists you know that are standard you know on the Rav Four, and this is on all Rav Fours, both gas and hybrid versions. They have the Toyota Safety Sense 2.0 um, package as standard equipment, and that includes pre-collision system with pedestrian detection, lane departure alert with steering assist lane tracing assist, which is basically a lane centering system, auto high beams, full range uh, dynamic radar cruise control. So adaptive cruise control, uh, which goes, you know, to brings the car to a full stop when you're, you know, in stop and go traffic and road sign assist, you know, so it, the camera is reading the road signs and it'll flash it up, you know, on the, the instrument cluster in front of you, you know, whatever the speed limit is or, you know, other, other alerts, it'll show that on the instrument cluster. So you know, if you're driving somewhere unfamiliar and you're not quite sure what the speed limit is, don't worry. The system captured that and it's sh- you can see it all, yeah. all the time. It's going to report um, back so, to uh, Central Command that you're exceeding the system yeah, well, suggested speed limit. I wasn't, I wasn't going to get into get that you. part. <laughs> Speaking of conspiracy um, so, theory. So, so, you know, even, even on that base $28,000 hybrid, 
you know, you're still getting all that stuff and, you know, a lot of other, a lot of other features as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's actually, it's a really good value. That's why they win. That's why they, that's, yep. that's why they keep selling. That's why the 450,000 people yeah. a year buy them. Yeah. And, and, and the, the sort of the dichotomy was always like, well, the Honda is going to drive a little better. It's going to, you know, going to have steering feel and, and actual sort of like a little bit of sporty spirit to it where the, the RAV4 is going to be a lot more numb. I don't know that that's still quite as wide a gulf. It's probably still true, but the, the Toyota has done a pretty good job about, uh, putting some some life back into its cars in the last few years. So I've, I've been impressed with them. We were talking a little bit about, you know, driving around, you know, with all these lockdowns. Uh, one group that's not driving around is race car drivers. You know, they've, they've been, all the, all the races have been canceled, you know, for the past month and, and pretty much will be through at least into June. Uh, you know, they just announced this week that the Indy 500, uh, has been rescheduled from Memorial Day weekend to late August. Uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans has moved from mid June th- to mid September. Um, you know, most of the other races have been have been canceled, uh, but that doesn't mean there's no competition uh, to watch. You know, you just can't watch it at the track. Um, have you guys ever watched any uh, e racing or any esports? Well, I've been to well the e racing. Well, not not electric racing. I mean, oh. like oh, you mean like esports, uh, like online esports? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's actually there was two documentaries. This doesn't help the current situation, but there's two <laughs> documentaries on um, on Delta <laughs> that talked about this that I watched one day. It's fascinating. It's really popular. I mean, I know that there's a company up here in Massachusetts called iRacing. It's a really big player in uh, esports. Yeah, well, and that, that's who most of the big series are teaming up with is iRacing. Uh, IndyCar is working with iRacing, IMSA, NASCAR. They're all <clears throat> they've all partnered with iRacing to put races online. They're they're taking the drivers, right? Uh, yeah, and are, are you know, they putting the, video games? Are they putting the drivers in front of video games? Essentially, yeah. Well, what? <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, uh, iRacing has a platform, you know, that's designed for you know watching online. Normally, you know, there, there's a lot of you know just People that participate, you know, there's racers, uh, not professional race car drivers for the most part, but okay. other, um, you know, uh, sim racers right. that participate in in the iRacing league uh, in various classes. Right. And uh, using their, you know, they they have their nice high end, you know, driving simulator rigs, and you know, of course, all the race teams have, you know, have these sim rigs, and <clears throat> you've seen the one that Honda trots around to their. Uh, yes, because Sage their, Marie uh, drive programs. <laughs> yeah, well, when you know when when Honda is not doing um, not doing one of their uh, drive programs, their media drive programs, you know that sim. I, I believe that sim is actually usually sitting in Sage's office in Torrance. Yes, I believe it is as well. And and the, <laughs> a, sound, looks like he spends a lot of time with it. You know, and the, you know this this is a high end driving sim. You know, so when you sit in it, you know it's got a steering wheel that looks like the ones that are in the race cars. Uh, three screens set up in front of you, pedal, full pedals with, you know, force feedback, actuators on the steering, on the, on the seat, you know, there's a full, you know, four point race harness on there, you know, so you feel the, the lateral and longitudinal and, and braking forces as you're driving around. And so last weekend, uh, in lieu of the 12 hours of Sebring, which is now going to be in November, I think, assuming things get back to normal, um, they, 
IMSA held their first iRacing Super Sebring, uh, Super Saturday Sebring race. And so they had 50 drivers, most of the, the full-time IMSA drivers, plus a bunch of the iRacing um, uh, veterans. And, you know, they held a 90-minute race online. You can, you can watch the replay. And it was, it was pretty fascinating to watch. I watched most of it, um, you know, because they have the same, the same commentators that do uh, Radio Le Mans, the Radio Le Mans online feed. Uh, you know, so That's John Heindorf and the rest awesome. of the crew. Uh, you know, a lot of the same, you hear the same driver names, uh, you know, and you know, the, the video is great. I mean, it actually looks, looks yeah, really good. You know, and you, they did it like, um, they basically did it like a live broadcast. So, and it like, yeah, it's not, it's not hard to replicate that experience of a live, you know, your video feed is coming from iRacing instead of from the track. Um, but otherwise yeah. like, yeah, it, you know, it's got music and graphics and, I don't know. It's impressive to look at. Yeah. Um, it's, it does sort of take the cars actually out of the equation though. Right. Like, or, or, or does it, um, not entirely because the, 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 the models they have of the cars in the iRacing platform, you know, they're, they're very sophisticated simulation models. Uh, you know, and so they, you know, they have, they exhibit a lot of the same behavior, you know, they, they try to, you know, because, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, the teams use these same simulation platforms, you know, for testing, you know, during, you know, in between races, you know, the drivers will go into the shop when they're not out on the track, they will go on the shop and, you know, they will practice, you know, they'll, they'll use the simulator platform to learn the tracks, uh, you know, and actually to try out different setups. So, I mean, you can go into the, you know, these models are, are pretty high end models. You know, they can change spring rates and dampers and the arrow um, and, you know, replicate the way the, you know, they've got a high degree of fidelity, you know, for how the car is actually going to behave on the track. And so they, the drivers actually use this stuff to practice and to, to try out different setups, you know, and they work with their engineers and, you know, they had, the teams had their engineers working with the drivers, uh, you know, on the, you know, on iRacing, you know, to, to change their car setups and everything, you know, change the, the tires and uh, various other settings uh, to get the cars behaving the well, way they want. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really making the best of a strange situation and it gives people something to watch. And weren't ratings pretty good actually for. Yeah. yeah apparently the, the ratings for the Sebring race were, um, were better than for any of the actual real racing. <laughs> last some year. of it is just like, that's and, and, and actually better, better, you know, not just for better than IMSA, which, you know, is not terribly surprising, but also better than uh, most of the, the real NASCAR races. Um, so they're, they're really now funny. looking at, at actually broadcasting these, not just on YouTube and Twitch, but also um, on TV, you know, like on Fox Sportsnet um, and on NBC. I mean, if you can do racing this way, without um the expense of actually going to the track it's not that there's no expense involved and the threat yeah, of injury threat of, just like, saying this is another yeah. you know i think it, it extends the season in in some way right like you can still have racing in the 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 winter um and and you don't have to fly around it reduces the carbon footprint and all those logistics it's a different kind of racing but it's just it, like you said sam it's fascinating 
just to see how uh, how popular it was. And I think part of it too is like people just want to check it out and see what it is. Yeah, we'll see. It'd be interesting to see how the ratings hold up over the next couple of months. But uh, Indy IndyCar's doing their opening race this afternoon uh, as we record this on Saturday morning, uh, four o'clock this afternoon. Uh, they'll be racing at virtual <laughs> Watkins Glen, uh, which is which is going to be interesting to watch. And then tomorrow uh, there's a NASCAR race. That's awesome. So I don't know if I've told this story before, so I apologize if I have. But so I was talking when I lived in Saudi, I was talking to this guy that from the UK and we were talking one time about Laguna Seca and he was describing the track in really good detail. And I was describing the track in really good detail as well. And finally, I looked at driven there and he has. Well, And I was like, how do you know this track so well? It's like video games. How do you know it? I was like, because I've been out. <laughs> but it was hilarious to me. And it, but it, it's a testament to you know just how realistic these simulators are. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I know it's it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, drive, driving that simulator that you know the Honda one, um, you know, at places like Road America, and uh, it's funny. I think uh, a couple of years ago. I, you know, I was at a Honda event just a couple of weeks after, I think it was the, the Honda Insight uh, program uh, in Minneapolis. Um, and it was just a couple of weeks after going to uh, Road America for the Mama Spring Rally. And then I was driving an Indy car on Road America, you know, that same track. So uh, that the track was still fresh in my mind. And it was amazing how, how close it was, you know, how, how much it was like driving on the track. That's really um, funny. Although, obviously, the behavior of an Indy car is radically different from the behavior, you know, uh, of an insight, yeah, of, of an insight or, or any of the other cars we drove, uh, you know, at road America a couple of weeks earlier. Yeah. I, I, if I sit down in front of that, I'm, I have this addictive thing for, for video games. So I gotta be careful. I, I played so many hours of golden eye back in college. It's just uh yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the only two games I play now, I play real racing three on my phone all the time. You know, I play, you know, do a few races every day. And then, um, on the PlayStation four, I play Gran Turismo usually for about oh, a nice. half hour every um, evening. My, uh, my 11 year old yeah. really likes uh need for speed. Most wanted. I think most cause he likes to drive around and crash into stuff and get chased by the cops. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer the games where, where I'm, uh, driving on a real track rather than the open world kind of games like need for speed or, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, I do as well. Like I like the missions and stuff. And I think what he likes is the just free driving and just going everywhere. It's like, no, no, you have to do the thing. And it was amazing. <laughs> uh, we pulled out of uh storage, the, I think, uh, an original PlayStation, I think had, uh, I think it had Gran Turismo on. I think that's what he was playing, but, uh, like from like 99 or 2000 or whenever, and it still holds up, man. It's, uh, the graphics, are, they're not great, but that was an impressive system back in the day. So. Yeah. I mean, for the, for, you know, for the time yeah. it was, it was pretty uh, well, amazing. Be cu- I'll be curious to see how racing does. I mean, it, there's still no substitute for going to the, the track and, uh, when we're all able to, I think that'll be like a breath of fresh air as well but e-racing is yeah yeah it's, literally it's a cool development um and and I, I you know be it'll be amazing when some of the first e-racing stars uh because there's already been people who've gone from e-racing to to actual racing but when some of those stars really really start to move um and and it just becomes racing then there's no prefix that that will be cool to see 
Yeah, well, I mean, Sony's had their their GT Academy program for several years, um, and there was I forget who it was now. One of the one of the drivers from you know that won you know a GT Academy challenge, you know, went on to to race professionally uh, for Toyota um, in their uh, their yeah uh, LMP that's program. Awesome. I'd like to play video games and get picked up for yeah. a race car driving. Yeah, that seems pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I That's suspect awesome. yeah, we're we're I'm all a little too, bit too I'm, old, I'm too old for that. Too old for though. anything I actually want to do. Too old to design cars. That's yeah. <laughs> if if Dan is too old, then Sam and I are definitely out of the running. <laughs> you guys maybe have a younger spirit, though. Remember, I'm like I'm mentally about eighty five. That's, That's right. true. You were you were born old. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As I, as someone recently told me, wow, you read much younger. I'm like okay, wow. interesting. Is that? I don't know what. <laughs> I don't think she meant literally books. I think she meant like. You know, my behavior, I was gonna say, which I took a as a compliment. A hundred percent. I'm owning that. All right. Well, let's let's, <laughs> Onward. let's jump on. Uh, Sam, the your your company, Navigant Research, does uh, an AV. They do multiple leaderboards, but you do an AV leaderboard every year. And so this is out now and it's it's in our topic list to discuss. Uh, tell us sort of like what you what you do to put this together and, and what you're seeing this year, that's a little different. I mean, obviously don't give away the store because if people really want it, they can go buy it. But uh, you know, what's, what's yeah. this about? So the, the uh, AV, you know, the automated driving leaderboard report is, uh, is one that we've been putting out on an annual basis for the last, this is the sixth edition we've done now, five, fifth or sixth edition. Um, and you know, it's, it's often you know, been somewhat controversial because what we do is, you know, we take a look at the, the leading companies in, in various sectors, and we do this across the different things that we research at, at Navigant. Uh, you know, so, you know, things like solar providers and, you know, a lot of stuff that's maybe not quite as interesting to the general audience as, as this particular one. Um, but we're not just looking at the, the core technology of how do you make a car go from point A to point B without a human driver? You know, we're looking at you know, who's, which companies are best positioned to actually commercialize the technology. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we're looking at things like, you know, the technology, obviously, but what is the company's vision, their plan for what they want to achieve with this? You know, who are their partners? What are their, their product capabilities, their production capabilities? Uh, you know, what's their go-to-market strategy? And, you know, score, the, score each of the companies on each of 10 different categories, uh, 10 different criteria. And then add it all up. And, you know, this year, again, uh, Waymo came out on top um, as they as they did uh, last year. But, you know, over, they, they weren't always at the top, even though they were, you know, they've long been probably the, the overall technology leader. Um, you know, in the past, they didn't always, ha- you know, they, you know, since they don't make cars, you know, they they didn't have this was before they had partnerships with Fiat Chrysler and now Jaguar Land Rover. They, you know, they didn't necessarily have a plan for how they were going to bring it, bring this stuff to market. Uh, you know, so they've got partnerships with, uh, with Avis and Auto Nation to service their fleet, and with Walmart and a bunch of other companies to use the vehicles. So it's it's been an interesting process every year. You know, going through figuring out which of the companies that I want to include in this. You know, and I added a couple of new companies this year, dropped off a couple of companies, and one of the things that's always controversial is that. Tesla usually ends up somewhere near the bottom of the list. How uh, dare you? I know. <laughs> but, you know, based on the, 
the way that we do this thing, you know, I think that it's they're legitimately down at the bottom of the list, you know, because, well, first of all, you know, I, as I've said many times before, I don't think that their technology is actually good enough to do, you know, fully automated driving. But, you know, also, you know, last year, Elon talked at their autonomy day about you know, having a million robo taxi capable vehicles, you know, on the road by the end of 2020. And while they may have a million vehicles that are capable of running whatever their full self-driving system is, you know, that's not real. It's certainly not ever going to be a level five system that can go anywhere. It's always going to have to be geofenced. They don't use high definition maps. And as robo taxis, their vehicles are just totally unsuitable to be robo taxis because they're, <laughs> well, no, details, I mean, details. Well, because, <laughs> you know, it, think, think about it, you know, for if you're going to have a vehicle that's going to be a taxi without a human driver. Yes. What, you know, what are some of the things you need that vehicle to be able to do? Yeah. Before, no. before it pulls away, yep. you know, after you drop off somebody, got to make sure the doors are closed. You know, if, you know, with a human driven cab or, you know, Lyft or an Uber, you know, if you get out of the car and you don't close the door properly, you don't latch the door. The driver can always get out and, you know, or reach back behind and, you know, pull the door shut. Right. Not a problem. Right. Or, right. you know, if you have something, you know, luggage in the trunk and, you know, you don't latch the trunk, but no problem. Uh, you take any vehicle that Tesla builds today, they don't have power doors, you know, well, except for right. the Model X, which they sort of sometimes work. They kind of um, do, right. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the Model 3, which is the bulk of their volume, bulk of what they've built. You know, it ha it's a very conventional sedan. And, you know, so they're, it's just not suited to being a robo taxi. This is why, you know, vehicles like the Cruise Origin are designed with power sliding doors. This is why Waymo, you know, chose to use Chrysler Pacificas, you know, because you've got power sliding doors and you've got lots of room. It's easy for people to get in and out of the thing. Well, and you can reconfigure the cabin for... Yes. You know, for suitable, for as you say, for not use having. Cases. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Elon Musk is, he is both a futurist, he's a dreamer, he is a somebody who does these extreme tweets. And yes, I'm still talking about Elon Musk. And, and you know, anybody with any kind of good judgment and common sense. You can't read that tweet and think that that's realistic. It just, it's you see it and you think that's not going to happen. It's an it's a, a a laudable goal. It's good to have those kinds of 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 reaches. You know the stretch, the infamous stretch goal that we all know know and love from corporate speak. Um, I think you know. I think that it's it's. Uh, you know, when you look at these kinds of technologies, when you look at this really, really what is futuristic in terms of full penetration of the market to have all EVs, all level five, rather all, all level five AVs on the road, it's we're so far away from that. And we're so far away from making that a reality, even when it comes to just what we what we could put on the on the road today if the technology was available but you know at the same time when we especially now because when we look at what's going on now or we can't touch each other and you can't get near each other and all these different things you know having that some of that like the self-cleaning car the antibacterial 
antibacterial materials that are going in, like all those kinds of things, you know, pandemics like this actually could speed up investment in making this more of a reality. I realize that we're far away from your, the navigant board that we're talking about this, the automated driving vehicles board, but it's still, it's interesting thinking about what are the opportunities that this pandemic creates? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, there's definitely some opportunities. I think, I actually think that the the reality right now, because of the, the economic situation, you know, we are, you know, <clears throat> when, when the, the pandemic, the pandemic does subside, hopefully sometime in the next few months, we're still going to be left with a very big economic mess that is going to, absolutely not, we're not going to have an instant recovery. You know, we're, things are not going to be back to normal in September. You know, it's, it's going to be probably multiple years before, for example, the automotive market recovers fully. Um, you know, I think, you know, the forecast, we're working on an updated forecast right now, and it's probably going to be 2023, 24 before the market gets back to where it was, you know, in 2019. Um, and it, it might actually be much longer depending on the responses of, you know, certain levels of government, you know, in the, in the next few weeks and months. Um, you know, if, if the, if the situation gets worse, much worse, which it very well may, you know, we could be talking many years before we get a full economic recovery. And one of the impacts of that is going to be, you know, re companies are going to have to be taking a look at what they're, what they're investing in, in the near term and, and the long term and making some very hard decisions on where they spend their R and D dollars. Sure. Um, and, you know, given the reality that, uh, you know, robo-taxi technology is simply not ready yet and, you know, it's, we're, we're going to be into the mid-2020s, even if things, even if this pandemic hadn't happened, we'd be looking at, you know, 2024, 25 before we start to see any significant volumes of robo-taxis anyway, of real robo-taxis. And, you know, so, you know, real, you know, real rev return on investment, you know, revenues is many years out from where we are today and companies are going to have much more pressing priorities in the near term and it wouldn't surprise me if you know through the remainder of this year and into next year if a lot of companies start scaling back some of their investments because just because they they just don't have the cash to right. spend on it and and prioritizing it in other ways where there's going to be more of a near-term return um, so, but you know, what you said about, you know, self-cleaning vehicles is crucially important. I mean, you know, you and I last fall when we were at Magna, uh, you know, for their, uh, technology day, you know, we saw, you know, different materials that they're working on different kinds of seat structures. You know, I also wrote a, a blog post, uh, last week, uh, for the Navigant research site on, um, you know. Robo taxis needing to dis be able to disinfect themselves. Yeah, that was fantastic. I mean, it's so true. That's what made me. Th that's that's and both of those things, both the Magna International Day and your blog post, it it, re it it reinforces that need for this kind of disinfecting sort of system, which is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you know, today, you know, you can get, um, you know, little disinfecting devices, UV devices, uh, phone soap is one company that makes them. There's a few others that, you know, basically a little box that you can stick your phone in and it flashes it with UV 
Uh, yeah, light. so I actually got one of those. Oh, did you? I did. I don't know that it's working. Um, I it, it came <laughs> it came it came yesterday, and it lights up. But if it's supposed to be flashing, mine's not flashing. No, no, it doesn't flash. It's it's on continuously. Okay. Uh, okay. Because we, there, there is so the UV stuff though you have to be careful with that. Like there's a specific amount of time it needs to, and intensity that it needs to, to, uh, to ex- be exposed to. So like for your phone, right? Like, like you're talking about a box that you put your phone in. And yeah. It exposes it. That's, yeah. that's fine. It's usually got a timer. We've yeah. we've had I've had one in the past for you know the electric toothbrush. You can take the toothbrush head and and stick it in there um, after you use it and you know close the door and then the UV light comes on and it disinfects it. And how um, can you tell? Just the, the, well, you the, don't the get light. Sick. Yeah, the light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the, right. Yeah, I mean, tip, typically there's the window on there. You know, you'll see the light come on, the UV light. Right. Yeah. I can't tell uh, if it worked in, but anyway, we're off topic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, to the cars. Uh, but, but I mean, it actually is a relevant topic because you know, imagine you know, in an environment like we're in today, where you know you're supposed to be social distancing. You know, one of the things that that you know we're dealing with, you know, is we get car deliveries every week. You know the the companies that manage the the press fleets, you know, drive shop and navs. And I, I assume the guys doing it in, in your neck of the woods are doing this as well. Uh, Dan is they've, uh, they've initiated new protocols, you know, for con- contactless deliveries. So what they're doing is, you know, in the past, you know, they would knock on the door hand over the keys, you'd sign the, the loan agreement and, and you'd give them the keys for the other one. Now what they're doing is asking us, you know, They'll give us a call when they're on their way. We leave the keys in the car that's being that they're picking up. They will bring you know bring the vehicle to us. They'll wipe it down with disinfectant wipes. Leave the key inside there, and so there's no direct contact between us right now. I actually and, started. Yeah, and, I wiped down the keys that I got yesterday. Yeah, well, and and you know, I when I go out to put the keys in the car, I I wipe it down. You know, before you know when I get out of the car before they get there, so it's already I've already disinfected the one they're picking up. And they're doing the same for the one they're dropping off. Now imagine, you know, robo taxis, people getting in and out of these things all day long. You know, it, you know, if, if somebody's driving the vehicle, you know, if, if you've been in a vehicle, if you're driving a vehicle and you've got a passenger that's been coughing and hacking, you know, all over the place, you know, the driver can make decision, you know, go wipe down the, the backseat or, you know, whatever, whatever they might decide to do. But in an autonomous vehicle, who's going to do that? You know, you, you have to assume that there's no real way to detect that. So one of the things that I'm sure that the engineers and designers working on these um, purpose-built AVs are thinking about now, or I hope they are, is how do we disinfect these things? I mean, they've already been working on things like antimicrobial coatings um, on the surfaces, you know, using uh, silver nitrate, you know, in the, the coatings and the, the paint that they use and, and other coatings to kill, kill bacteria. But, you know, that's not that doesn't do anything typically against viruses. Uh, so they, they need to be thinking about how how to deal with that problem, you know, um, both for, for taxis and, and robo taxis going forward. You know, so maybe, you know, you have a UV light that comes on, you know, and and exposes the interior of the vehicle. You know, as soon as somebody gets out you know, before somebody else gets in, you disin, you know, do a disinfectant treatment on it uh, you know i don't know what the solution is um but this this is something that that the industry needs to be thinking about going forward totally. i agree i mean it's it's the same thing with with taxis and transit and mm-hmm. you know those those kind of things where 
they're they're not easy to keep clean um and especially in a time of heightened awareness and concern uh those efforts maybe need to be adjusted and fine tuned as well you know you get a lot of a lot of autonomous cars out there. Each one of those could be could be a disease vector. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, well, just as any other vehicle, you know, can be if if people are getting yeah. in and out of it. I mean, this is one of the reasons why in most cities that have transit systems, there's been almost nobody riding them in in recent weeks. You know, the New York subways are empty. Uh, you know, in San Francisco, BART actually just shut down their trains because there was so little use of their trains over the last three weeks. They just stopped the train services. Um, cause nobody's, nobody's using them. And, you know, this is a challenge that transit services are going to face going forward. You know, when, when this does subside and people can start going out again, are people going to trust these things? Are they going to want to ride in buses and trains and subways anymore? Um, and hopefully they will, because I mean, it's, a, it's an important means of getting around cities, but, um, we've got to come up with some solutions for this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, still worry about the people who get the cars around and the people whose job it is to clean the transit systems and stuff like mm-hmm. they, it's your job. You have to be exposed to it by the very nature of your job. So maybe technology will find a solution. Yeah. Maybe. Um, speaking of technology, um, you know, a lot of people working from home now for the first time <laughs> uh, <laughs> over in, in recent weeks. And, you know, a lot of people getting on, uh, video conferences with Zoom or Skype or, you know, Microsoft Teams or any of these other services. And, uh, you know, it's or, you know, if you've been watching, you know, some of the news broadcasts, you know, people or, you know, various other shows that are on TV, you know, people broadcasting from their homes um, instead of from studios, you know, and you get to see what's what's behind them. And this is one of the things that I, I don't do when I do you know, video interviews or video conferences is I don't do them. (laughs) I don't, you don't get to see what's behind me. Uh, You know, I, I have a green screen set up here that I use, but you know, certain, you know, systems like zoom, you know, have you guys used zoom yet? I have used zoom. No, but did you see poor Jennifer? Jennifer who? Well, it was, (laughs) somebody was using zoom clearly for one of the first times. And this poor girl actually went to the bathroom. Aww. It was it was trending on Twitter, and it was oh. hashtag poor Jennifer. <laughs> no, I didn't yes, see people, that one. People said, "Oh, that was mean," but it was pretty funny. I mean, you didn't really actually see her face, so you got that going well, for her. <laughs> yeah, um, ser- services like Zoom, in particular, you know, has the ability even even without a green screen to just um, do uh, automatic background replacement for you, and it, it does a pretty decent job of it. But the question is, what are you going to replace that background with? Well, Audi. Uh, the other day, uh, published um, some uh, some photos, some images that you can use as your background for some of these services. If you want, you know, instead of showing what your what your bedroom or your living room <laughs> or your kitchen looks like, um, you know, so they published some some pretty nice photos of an Audi TT. Uh, I thought it was R8. really clever. I liked yeah. it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. So it's you know it's it's nice nice little thing you know that you can use. Um, you, know, you can download these uh, for free. Um, and they, they said they're going to be periodically, uh, publishing, uh, new images on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram, um, on the Audi channels there. Um, so keep an eye out for those if you're looking for some, some background imagery and, and there's lots of other stuff out there too, that, that you can use 
and and actually going back to you know uh, the e-racing, uh, one of the things that's been popping up a lot over the last week is uh, car companies and racing teams and stuff publishing um, black and white line drawings of their their cars and race cars and everything that you can download and print out to use uh, for coloring for the kids, so they can you know uh, have you know have something to occupy their time. I'm holding out for the background that makes it look like I'm driving a NSU RO80. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have we'll have to uh, talk to uh, Jacob Brown. I'm sure he can arrange that. That would be excellent. Uh, the other problem is we use um, we. I mean, I've used Zoom, but for for the company, we tend to use Slack. Uh, the paid tier of Slack, you can have calls right in it, which it's actually a pretty good tool for that. Uh, it works quite well. Um, but we also use uh, WebEx, which I don't, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think you can. Um, I don't think you can swap. You can make it blur, but I don't. I don't think you can actually key in a background. I don't know. I haven't played with. They all kind of suck in their own unique way. Yeah. So let's finish off with a couple of listener questions that we got. Um, this is one that's actually been in the queue for more than a month now. Uh, sorry about that. Pasha. Uh, so this is from Pasha Nasrat. Um, love the show. Bring back a Steve for a cameo. Um, on my, okay. The question is what's your view on ethics in automotive journalism in the traditional journalism landscape? One might be offered freebies of all sorts, ranging from event tickets to merchandise to trips. Uh, we would obviously decline them as any gifts from, uh, potential subjects or sources could sway coverage or taint the image of independence of the fourth estate. However, I hear several automotive journalists talk about how manufacturers give journalists thousands of dollars of free stuff. Audi giving away press kits with iPads included at a recent product launch is one blatant example. Uh, or what, what about travel and lodging? Does Wheel Bearings pay for two of its staff to fly to L.A. for the Escalade reveal? Or is GM paying for it? Do most outlets take the free flight hotel? Or do they pay their own way to guarantee editorial independence? Seems we, the listener, don't really hear it either way. Or if it's disclosed, it's a relative footnote. I understand that journalism is an industry that uh, has had more than its share of downs since 2008, and not everyone can be Dan Neal, but a little clarity would be appreciated. Keep up the great work, Asha. Those are those are all good points. Very very good points. Yes. Would you so, like to go first, Rebecca? <laughs> sure. So the Audi press launch with the iPads was nearly 10 years ago, as far as I know. I haven't gotten anything more than a <laughs> leaking over uh, <laughs> a leaking. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't even, rem uh, I don't even remember um, iPads. I know when they did, when Audi did the uh, cross country mileage marathon in 2008, <clears throat> they um, in the hotel rooms, when we arrived, they gave these little, uh, if you remember the old netbook uh, PCs. Mm. Yeah. yeah. These, these things, you know, these were very cheap. These were like $100, you know, little no. mini notebooks. No, they gave iPads. Okay. Well, that, that wouldn't <laughs> surprise me, you know. Yeah, um, they gave iPads. So, you know, this is controversial. I understand why. Personally, and, and we do like, you know, when, when, when Sam and I went to the Cadillac reveal, we, we were hosted. I, you know, especially me now that I'm freelance, I certainly could not afford to cover my room and board and travel for that kind of event. I have, well, for, yeah, you know, yeah. I, and, you know, for, 
I think that we we try as much as possible to be objective. And now I, I you know, to, to be constructive, I think, whenever we review vehicles. I mean, that's my approach. I will say that I have been blacklisted from a manufacturer because they didn't like what I wrote. And that happened to me almost 10 years ago. And it was not fair then. It's not fair now. Um, but that's that's what happened to me. And I continue to be blacklisted by them. Um, I think that, you know, for me personally, I always try and be constructive. I always try and be objective. They are hosting. It's important to remember, too, that when they're hosting these events, there's there's several dozen, if not more than 100 people that go to these events. This is not exclusive to one or two people. I, and, and I think the, the journalists, what, what I also try and do is if, if I have concerns as, as I'm at that event, I will talk to them and say, can you just go over something with me? Whether it's the infotainment system. I had an issue with a vehicle that actually I was, was the steering was terrible on it. And I thought, this can't be right. And I talked to one of the engineers and she was like, oh my gosh, let's, let me look at it. And it turned out that they had had issues with the steering. They thought that they had corrected all of them. And I just got the one that they didn't. And they took it out uh, because it was, it was a pre-production, which is often what we drive as well. And, you know, they gave me a different one to drive and I actually drove three of them and they all drove better than that one. So if I hadn't talked to her at that and rather just went with the idea, I'm just going to annihilate them, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been reporting it factually because it's not that, that steering is actually not available on the road today and certainly not in pre-production. So I think that we, I, I personally approach it, um, try and be as professional as possible, try and be as constructive as possible, ask them questions if I've got issues with the way something is behaving in a vehicle and kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. Whether I'm staying in a five-star hotel at, on their dime or not, they're not doing it to bribe us. It may Maybe some people are bribed by that. I feel like they're doing it, you know, it's a combination of representing the type of lifestyle that some of these people stay in. You know, if I'm going to be driving a Lexus, somebody that's driving a brand new Lexus is not likely staying in a two or three star hotel. And so they do that to kind of reflect the type of, you know, this aspirational lifestyle. So, you know, we are definitely treated very well. It is uh, a bit of an anomaly uh, in today's world. But at the same time, when you look at what influencers are paid to, they are both paid, they're compensated for their time, which we are not. So an influencer is compensated for their time and they get all of these perks simultaneously. That's a very, that is not our situation. Yeah, so I, I definitely, um, understand it as sort of a it's an access journalism kind of model like so yes they will invite you they will often fly you out and they will um put you up and feed you and 
give you the presentation, give you the car. It's an event uh, that does a couple of things. It puts them in control of the situation of how the vehicle is presented and um, experienced. Uh, but there is that sort of seamy side of it where uh, I think it's important to say like, oh, so-and-so flew us out. They put us up. I don't think it um, really detracts from the objectivity of the the way a lot of us do it. Um, it we're professional sort of car evaluators, if that's <laughs> that yeah. category, you know, like. Right. Or we try to be. Yeah. Well, and we, also like, we're not, you know, I, I, we're not reviewing the hotel. We're not reviewing the food. Like, so there's. But but I, I see how that can it, can color the impression. Absolutely. It can definitely put it. you in a better frame of mind. Yeah. But, so like that kind of thing, I would much prefer they just send the cars to us. Come come up and like have a little presentation with us. Um, but that's more expensive to do. Uh, right now, it's not even possible. Um, so I, I understand the position that car companies are in. They're, they're, it's PR. And so they're they're managing PR for their product launch. It's it's it makes perfect sense. Um, the journalism side of it seems a little unclean, and it kind of is in some ways. Um, I've never gotten something as extravagant as an iPad, or they've got they'll hand out thumb drives that usually have the press kit on them. Um, it, you, sometimes you get a hat. <laughs> Yeah. Or, now, these or days, like it's mostly mug. hats, uh, water bottles, travel mugs. Yeah. Uh, and and know, a leaky have... water bottle at that is what happens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so like those things are, you know, the press kit on a thumb drive is immediately useful. That's like they're yes. giving you the tool to do your job. Um, they're giving you the, the, the photos, the press releases, the information. They're also giving you access to the people that are there at the event, which is really the biggest thing. And I like, guess the reason why car shows are important now. Still. Yeah, it's, it's one of the few times that we get to talk with you know engineers designers you know uh various other executives you know that were involved in the process and you know yeah. ask them you know get the the behind the scenes story of well to the degree that you know, they, <laughs> they can they talk can share that. that uh but you know to to try to to try to get a feel for you know what drove you know the decisions that created this vehicle yeah. um, and and they get a chance to know us also to mm-hmm. understand the work that we do, to understand our perspective. You know, right. I, I learn, I learn a lot and they learn a lot about the relationship. Cause it is, we do have relationships with these, there's these people, there's no denying that. And well, yeah. it's just like any other side of, of coverage, you know, you think the people in the political sphere, uh, if you think they don't have relationships with the people they cover, um, yeah, exactly. I, I think, and I don't mean any other kind of relationship other than like a collegial kind of like professional they, relationship, they, they, right? Yeah. They know each right. other and they, they, they'll play ball. The car companies are the same way. Yes. Um, you have established yourself as somebody who, you know, you'll, you'll call it out if it's a problem. You'll also, uh, you know, the best thing you can do is if you're, if you're driving a car on an event, or even if I get one as a loan and I notice something's weird, I talk to the person at the car company and say, Hey, I'm noticing this thing is weird. Um, sometimes the answer is like, yeah, it's supposed to be like that. And then you can be like, well, my opinion is I don't like it. Exactly. Or other times. Yeah. Or other times it's like the situation I had with Android auto, you know, in the RAV4 last summer, you know, where, you know, I noticed a problem. I, you know, sent a note to the, the PR folks and said, hey, is this something you've seen before? And, you know, in that case, they took the car back to investigate. Yeah, and, and I've had other si- similar situations over the years where, you know, there's been some sort of issue, you know, where they'll take it back and, and check it out. And, and sometimes it's it's a particular problem with that 
vehicle that needs to be corrected. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a more broad ranging problem like it was with the RAV, you know, and that get that feedback goes back to the engineering teams and they, they correct it. So it's, you know, and, you know, certainly I have given plenty of negative reviews over the years on, on a lot of stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, to the best of my knowledge, I've not been blacklisted by anybody. Um, you know, most companies are still pretty responsive to me. Um, but, you know, as, as Rebecca said, it's, you know, we try to be professional about it, you know, and, you know, when it comes to the, the travel portion of it, you know, what, you know, what we experience is very different from what, you know, say an Instagram travel influencer. Oh my goodness. Uh, the influencer experiences. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, yes, we often get to go off to various, you know, exotic locales, you know, and stay in fancy hotels, but it's like they fly us in, you know, we get in in the afternoon, go to the hotel and go up to the hotel room. We have time to take a shower, do a little work, have some dinner, drive all day the next day, you know, um, and, you know, in some cases we might be out, you know, might be leaving the same day. It's not like we get to often hang around and sit on the beach or sit by the pool, uh, for an extended period of time. You know, it's, it's more often than not, it's in and out, you know, in at most two days, you know, at most, mo most of the time it's at most two nights, you know, the, the day we arrive, uh, the, the night after the, the drive, and then we're usually out oftentimes very early the next morning. Yeah, I, I think so, that part of this, that part of it to me is kind of the nonsense. I hate that part of it mostly because it's so much travel. Uh, that seems kind of pointless to a degree other than to frame the car in a particular uh, setting. I don't see why they couldn't do that with the same level of control. It's certainly a different atmosphere. Have people come to your USHQ, you know, like, uh, like it doesn't have to be uh, BMW flying you to, you know, the black forest, right? Like they could have you come to New Jersey, which I realize is, it's not the same thing. I get well, it. And, and sometimes but, that is what they do. You yeah, know, I, mean? I, I, I don't, I don't personally like those launch event things. I understand why they're there, but I do think that it, it can um, sort of put a thumb on the scale of impressions. Uh, but I think that they're going to put a thumb on the scale of impressions, no matter what program they run, where they run it. That's again, and that's, it's that's their the job. job. That's the job of, of PR people. And right. it's, it's our job to, try to cut through that and, you know, see through that, you know, f take, find what's relevant in there to the product and cut, cut through the rest of it. Yeah, the, and, the, and this is why, you know, I, you know, when I write reviews, I never talk, I never write about that stuff. You know, I, I focus on the product. I respect the question. I get it. And, and, you know, as another example, one of my closest friends is a doctor. And when she became a doctor nearly 25 years ago oh, now. Oh, boy, healthcare marketing. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Right? Well, I, I mean, believe me, I remember, you know, I was the official friend outside the residency for these kids. And so I used to be able to go. I mean, some of their events were unbelievable, you know, and, and that's all stopped. And I get that. But there was also very, uh, very distinct, you know, there was patterns of abuse there. I think that there are certainly people that may abuse these privileges that we have been given. Um, but I think that that's weeded out a little bit also, you know, there's, there's that kind of Frank Bacon profile, somebody, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, that, that, uh, that always, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fake 
fake profile of somebody, you know, that always demands the most ridiculous things on these press trips and always has, you know, the shrimp and, and such. And I think that there's a little bit of calling each other out on that. The, as, as we've all talked about now, the influencer crowd is a whole different animal. It's a whole different animal. I think that that's just, that yeah. that's, that's a different world. Well, and, and so there is this friction between automotive journalists and uh, the influencer side of things. And it, it the automakers are kind of caught in the middle because they, at the end of the day, they want their message to get out. They want their product to be framed uh, in in a light that's going to help it sell. And they're they're trying to find an increasingly slippery audience. So they're going to do those things. They're going to spend the money where they think it can have an impact. It's their job to sell the cars. Uh, so understanding that, you know, it's our job to uh, to to report. I think fairly and from a basis of um, of knowledge and uh, experience with the competitive set. So they have to lend us the cars. So there's that level of access that we get there. Um, Consumer Reports buys the cars most of the time. So there's another way to do it. What does Consumer Reports have that a lot of these publications that are really lifestyle publications, right? Like Car and Driver, Road and Track, I mean, they're owned by the same company now. And the, 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 the lifestyle side of their of Hearst. So they're not hardcore, like they're not, you know, an engineering magazine. They're not, again, Consumer Reports was a very data-driven uh, analytical approach. They're somewhere in between, you know, they're entertainment and uh, uh, with a side of, of sort of uh, product evaluation. So it's, it's really tough. We don't, we don't have newsrooms don't have budget to send people around anymore. Um, back in the day, you know, you read about how, uh, you know, PJ O'Rourke pitched a story and got paid like three grand to go do a thing for a one, for a single story. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Well, and again, we don't, have that. We, we don't get compensated for our time when we are on these trips. That I think is one of the major differences between us and influencers is that when an influencer goes on these trips, for the most part, they are often compensated. I don't know about those lifestyle trips, uh, you know, they're like there's because there's sometimes influencers on our on our yeah. events, but I, you know, but I, I think for the automakers, I don't think that they actually do pay those people. Okay. Um, that that's other you know, other industries policy. certainly do. Yeah, other yeah. other industries do. In in the auto industry, the automakers generally do not pay influencers, but they um, are they, concerned with your follower count and your engagement and your numbers. And, and right, which they you should know, be. So, Don't get me yeah, wrong. Like, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, and the same is true for for any other journalist. They want to make sure that there's actually going to be an audience. If they're going to spend the money to fly you somewhere and let you drive a product, they want to know that there's going to be they want to have some confidence that there, there, somebody is going to see the story somewhere. Um, and so if you, you know, if you're just a, you know, a blogger in your basement, you know, that has, you know, a, a couple of family members that look at your blog, you're not going to get invited to these programs. Um, and, you know, but, but, you know, the, the travel influencers that get paid for, for their time, the automakers don't, generally pay as far as to the best of my knowledge they don't pay those people i certainly have never received a payment from an automaker i've cost automakers no, more than any any kind of benefit um, yes, yeah. they get for me um you got to understand they're giving us cars and so uh stuff happens to those cars while they're in our care um that that damage magically gets fixed uh 
automakers foot that bill. Um, you know, they foot the bill to get the cars to us, to have to fund the fleets, you know, the fleet companies that get that contract. So there's a lot of expense there that when you start to peel it back, it it does it, it's definitely an access to the product and to the the players um side of the industry. You can still be objective and fair, but you have to be fair. You can and you can have a personality too, but if you're constantly just complaining about whatever you don't like um often you'll you'll if you're, if you're more trouble than it's worth yeah uh, it will stop inviting you you can't just come at it with only opinion you have to do research and study and you will find that like sam you don't write about the experience because that's not what you're there for you write about the car um I, it's, i'm also pretty turned off when i read those those uh reviews and it's like oh the sunrise in mallorca is beautiful and blah blah i don't who cares Tell me about the car. And you'll find that all of those launch events, they all have the same story because they're all in the same place. All the pictures look the same. Like That's very dull. Um, so you can sort of see right through that. We've gotten into a little bit of inside baseball. I think Pasha has a really good point. Um, yeah, that, it was a great question. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, and, and also to answer one other part of that question, um, there are some publications that, <clears throat> that pay their own way. Uh, like, for example, the Wall Street Journal, who, Dan Nail works for, you know, they, they don't take paid trips as far as I understand, or at least they, they did in the, in the past. They, I don't know if that's changed, but you know, those, those publications, I know automotive news also does not take paid trips. You know, they, um, you know, they pay for their writers to go on these events. And, you know, if that's the case, um, you know, then, you know, when, when you accept the invitation, you know, there, there's on the, the registration form, there's always a thing there, you know, we'll, Will you need us to cover your travel, or will you co- be covering it? And if you're covering it, then they'll they'll send you the bill for it, you know. And then your your employer, your publication takes care of that. Yeah, and I think that's the cleaner way to do it. It's just this is a business that has had a lot of money. Journalism as a whole has had a lot of money just vacuumed right out of it. There's there's one here. Um, it says uh, from Mark in Bentonville. Arkansas, maybe a weird question, but wondering if some sedans have better ventilated seats than others. If yes, which manufacturers have the best backstory lives in uh, Northwest Arkansas can have humid summers. So thinking a good ventilated car seat would make life a little more comfortable. Um, have you, have you noticed any substantial difference in the quality of the ventilated seats from one brand to another? Yes. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, you, you haven't? Well, I can't think of any right now, but oh. I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> um, I think uh, the German premium brands do it pretty well. Uh, Mercedes, uh, in particular, stands out to me. Um, Ford seems to have decent ventilated seats as well. Um, those are the two that sort of I can usually count on them to be okay, uh, where you actually feel something. Uh, <laughs> uh, ventilated seats tend to be more noise than comfort to me. But uh, I can understand how they would be a nice thing to have when it's in some more humid place. So those are those are the two standouts. So get yourself a Mercedes or a yeah. Ford. <laughs> I was thinking of the Chiatelli ride because uh, I'm pretty sure that had ventilated oh, seats. Oh, probably, yeah. And I had that in late May uh, and on that long trip when I had to go down to the Jersey Shore on Memorial Day weekend, which was sub-op. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, but it was great. I love the ones – where they're graduated, where you can select 
you know, like, like even the Jeep Wrangler, the Jeep Gladiator has, uh, has three different settings for the heated seats. And I love that because then you can kind of adjust, you know, based on whether you want it, what you want. So, um, I think the ventilated seats are something that are getting better and better. Uh, like anything, the fan can definitely be loud on them for sure. But I completely appreciate uh, the question because it's it's a very valid one, uh, especially given in the South. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there are, there are some that I've experienced where the ventilation didn't really seem to have much noticeable impact. But uh, unfortunately, I cannot think of the specific brands or models off the top of my head. Well, right now, now we'll pay close closer attention to it. Uh, we should make yep. a checklist of things that we need to. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, I mean, we got one more from this morning about uh, from from Twitter um, that I thought was interesting. So has social distancing opened up the roads for you? Uh, oh yeah, Daryl noticed that the roads are wide open in his area, <laughs> and yeah, I, I could probably hit Boston in less than an hour from here. <laughs> Yes, but and and Greenwich, we certainly have seen that, but we've also seen. I mean, I saw a lot of cops because they're cruising around, but not only because I can't say that crime is down because it's not really exactly high here. Car, yeah. Cars left, not, cars not, left not with their keys in, in it. Anyway. <laughs> cars <laughs> left with their keys in it are still being stolen in Greenwich. I can attest to that. But but they, you know, yes, you can drive faster on the on the roads. But two things are happening. First of all, there's more people out. Because people are walking, people, you know, as an example, my brother-in-law usually has a, a round trip, three-hour commute in and out of the city. That's not happening anymore. So he and my sister are taking the dog for a walk first thing in the morning instead, and and or in the late afternoon. They're out at five o'clock. There's so many more people out. So that's what I noticed yesterday driving around is there's a lot of bicyclists out. There's a lot of joggers. There's a lot of dog walkers. Yeah, same here. Yeah, and, and around here, um, you know, it, it depends on on where I am. If I'm like near a grocery store, there's definitely more traffic there. Um, but you know, around other areas, not so much. Um, and one one interesting um, thing, there was a tweet the other day from uh, from Jerry Hirsch, uh, who's the editor at Trucks.com, uh, that uh, an interesting fact about the state of the economy: big rig truck speed at I seven ten and I one hundred five crossing in L.A. Is normally less than 25 miles an hour from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. According to uh, uh, some of the data now shows that at that same location, the speeds are averaging 53 miles per hour as commuters stay home, but the truck deliveries increase. Wow. And there's less uh, pollution as well that they're seeing. Yeah. Well, that's that's the other big thing, you know, especially in in Southern California. But, you know, and they they saw this in China as well, you know, in the wake of the. uh, the Chinese New Year, you know, there's always, uh, you know, the big cities like Beijing and Shanghai, there's always a, a significant drop in air pollution during that holiday week because people aren't commuting and they're not going to work. Um, and throughout the month of February, you know, in those weeks of the lockdown after the New Year, uh, it stayed low for several weeks. And, you know, we're seeing the same thing happening here and, and in Europe as well. Yeah. So we had another question uh, on Twitter about the Acura NSX and sales of that. Do you want to touch that? Touch on that? I saw that, that with the question is why is uh, it such a sales flop? I have no idea. I can't afford one. No. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's your answer. Well, I, um, which, I mean, I right, thought because Dan can't afford it. Yeah. The reason I bring it up is because earlier in the podcast, we were talking about resale value. And I do think that 
you know, this that the NSX, which is a really, really fun car to drive. I mean, it's it's awesome. Um, but I do think that there is an issue with people looking and saying, you know, the one that I drove was $171,000. And is that what you want to put your money invest in? Is that going to retain that value? Is it going to be a good use of your funds? Even if you're incredibly wealthy, I mean, clearly Daisy agrees with <laughs> that was, me. That's, that was Cooper. That was Dan's dog. Oh, that was your, I was Dan's dog. <laughs> but you know, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons why, um, I think that's one of the reasons why Acura has struggled to to sell the NSX. There also hasn't been a lot of marketing around it at all, but that's not usually a barrier. I just personally think that people don't look at Acura as a, as a super premium luxury just, brand. Yeah. I mean, they, they sold grant, they sold 238 NSXs mm. in the U S last year, uh, which, uh, grant, wow. uh, you know, is actually, was an increase of 40%. They sold 170 <laughs> in 2018. Um, so, you know, it's it is a very expensive car. It's a wonderful car to drive. It um, is. It is. But you know, it is it is expensive, and you know, it starts at I think the starting price is like one hundred and fifty six grand. Yeah, I've and, got, got one fifty seven five. Okay. Was, yes, yeah. So. And and that doesn't include whatever and, destination might be. Right. And the one the one that I drove a couple of years ago that that I reviewed was, uh, you know, with the carbon package and everything was like $204,000. Wow. And, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, McLaren money, um, yeah. you know, low end, you know, entry level. Yeah, there's a lot money, of competition Lamborghini in that money. space. I guess you wouldn't and, think about that. Huh? And, and yeah. Acura doesn't necessarily have the brand cachet to compete exactly. there, even though it is a fantastic car. Um, and, you know, granted, um, you know, the plant that builds them, you know, these are mm. hand built cars. You know, so they are expensive to manufacture and they're, they're very complex. Um, you know, that plant only has a capacity of a thousand cars a year anyway. So right. they were never, it was never meant to be as big volume as Ferrari or Lamborghini. Um, you know, it was always more of a niche product. And I'm not sure what the global numbers are for NSX. You know, it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or 800. Um, you know, so I don't think that they're using the full capacity of that plant, but, you know, the capacity is not much to begin with. Yeah. I had, I had, I had written an article last year about it when I had it last summer. And then I also toured the plant and it is, it's a fantastic facility. It is all hand built. The paint shop is really cool. You can actually watch it being painted. And, you know, there's a lot of really cool things about it, but I absolutely agree. I think that the brand cachet is the number one issue when it comes to selling these types of products. Yeah. I mean, the, the NSX, the original NSX was such a good car for such a good price. And this one is such a good car for a completely fair market price. <laughs> like, yes. I got okay. to drive the original one. They had it at, uh, I, they had this had it at, at an event. It was super cool. It was so neat I, to drive the original. I only ever drove one once back in 1991. Yeah, when it was it's actually amazing. New. <laughs> and amazing. And those cars are why the Ferraris and Lamborghinis got so good because the NSX was like, "Hey guys, yeah. we got this." Yeah, yeah. this, this yeah, is no, how you exactly. do it. Um, yep, exactly. Send us money, and we'll pay for our own flights to <laughs> car events, and we'll buy an NSX. Okay. <laughs> You send us enough, exactly. we'll all do it. <laughs> we'll all do it. <laughs> I would happily I think- park an NSX in the garage next to my uh, Miata. Yeah. Yes. I'd build a garage first and then... <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Yeah, and, and I would park one in my driveway next to the Jeep Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Civic can go out in the driveway. The NSX can have the garage space. Sounds like a plan. Uh, all deal. right. Well, tune in next week and see if that actually happened. <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like the car talk guys now. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch everybody next time. Thanks, everyone. Right. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to Wheelbearings. Find us at wheelbearings.media and on Twitter as at wheelbearingscast. Remember, there's only one vowel. That's the A in cast. We're also at Car Review Tweets on Twitter. Or you could just email us. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. Thanks again for listening to Wheelbearings.